The Greek word translated as hypocrite in our English New Testaments was originally used to refer to an actor playing a part. Actors on stages would hold a mask over their faces so they could pretend to be someone or, or something else. Something they weren't. When Jesus came along, he takes the word and he forever changes its meaning. Well, he didn't really change the meaning. He changed the connotation of the word. Right. It's he still means it's a person playing a part, but it's now a person playing a part in life rather than a person playing a part on stage. Jesus also changes it from being something that's positive for there was no negative connotation with the idea of an actor. But he always but he puts it in a a negative way. Right. Every time Jesus mentions hypocrite or a hypocrite is mentioned in the New Testament, it always means something negative. Right. He takes it and he puts it in a negative spin on it. Now, I've heard it said that we are all hypocrites in one way or another. The reason given for this is because in one way or another, we all fail to live up to the standard or the values we profess to hold. Now, personally, I disagree with this statement. Now, the reason I disagree is because a hypocrite wasn't someone who tried to live up to a standard but failed to meet it. A hypocrite was someone who really never tried to live up to the standard, but wanted other people to think they lived up to that standard. Right? A hypocrite is more concerned with appearing than being. Right? A hypocrite is more concerned with what they appear to be in public than what they actually are in their hearts. So for the idea of being a hypocrite, if you are more concerned with what people think you are than with what you actually are, then you might be a hypocrite. If you're more concerned with what you appear to be than what you actually are, then you might be a hypocrite. But on the other hand, if you truly do desire to be a disciple of Jesus, a devoted disciple of Jesus, but at times you fail to live up to that standard, you're probably not a hypocrite. You are a devoted disciple of Jesus who lives in a fallen, sin-cursed world, still struggling with the world, the flesh, and the devil, who occasionally makes a mistake. Now, this distinction is important because Jesus had no patience for hypocrites. Jesus consistently dealt more harshly with hypocritical, self-righteous religious leaders than he did with prostitutes, tax collectors, and the worst sorts of sinners of the day. Jesus has had and has no desire for anyone to appear to be a devoted disciple of his. Rather, what Jesus wants is for everyone to truly, genuinely be a devoted disciple of his. Jesus's passion for people to be rather than appear, it didn't spring up in a vacuum. Rather, it sprang from Jesus sharing his father's passion for this very same thing. So open your Bible to Isaiah 1, verse 1, page 517. Uh, When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. I'm going to read the whole 20 verses and then we'll focus on the part for tonight. Isaiah 1 and 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem, which he saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Listen, heavens, and hear earth, for the Lord has spoken. Sons I have raised and brought up, 
but they have revolted against me. An ox knows its owner, and a donkey its master's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. O sinful nation, people weighed down with guilt, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from Him. Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? The entire head is sick and the entire heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is nothing healthy in it. Only bruises, slashes and raw wounds. Not pressed nor bandaged, nor softened with oil. Your land is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. As for your fields, strangers are devouring them in front of you. It is desolation as overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a watchman's hut in a cucumber field, like a city under watch. The Lord of armies had not left us a few survivors. We would be like Sodom. We would be like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are your many sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings and of rams and of the fattened cattle. And I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courtyards? Do not go on bringing your worthless offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the proclamation of the assembly. I cannot endure wrongdoing of the festive assemblies. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I'm tired of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my face from you. Yes, even though you offer many prayers, I will not be listening. Your hands are covered in blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Stop doing evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Obtain justice for the orphan. Plead the widow's case. Come now. Let us debate your case, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The title of the message tonight is The God Who Speaks. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. We praise you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your word. Through it, you speak. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who takes your word and and makes it living and active. So that it is not a a dead word, but a living word, an active word that, that convicts and guides and strengthens and points us to Jesus. And reminds us of our need of your grace and your mercy. Father, tonight, guide us to, to be solely and completely focused upon you. Father, let us listen to what you're saying about hypocrisy through this text. Let us listen and, and take it to heart. Let us be strengthened and challenged and equipped to better go out and, and, and genuinely, authentically live for Jesus. In a world that desperately needs followers of Christ to be lights that shine brightly work in us and transform us rub off any darkness from our lives let us be salt without any mixture of of anything else at all 
so we can have a righteous testimony before the world and a righteous influence on the world. Fill me with your spirit tonight. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech that I could speak your words and your ways for your glory. We ask in Jesus name for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Verse two says, for the Lord has spoken. Verse verse 10 says, hear the word of the Lord. Verse 11 says, says the Lord. Verse 18 also says, says the Lord. And verse 20 says, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. These are significant phrases. These are weighty phrases. These phrases must weigh on us with the proper weight because it is God speaking. God has spoken and Isaiah has written down what God has spoken for us to know. What God has said, the word declares to us. What God has said, this book reveals to us. And since these are the words of God, these are not old words or dead words. They are living words. They are powerful words. They are authoritative words. They are active words. These words are all these things and more because they are God's words. These words are empowered by the Spirit and they give life through the Spirit. And so from this we realize God is speaking. That's never in question. God is speaking. The only question is, are we listening? Are we listening to what our God is saying? Now God is saying three things. In this passage, there is speaking about three things in this passage. First, we looked at last week, God is speaking about sin. And then this week we see God is speaking about hypocrisy. Now, look at verse 10. He refers to them as the rulers of Sodom and he refers to them as the people of Gomorrah. Anyone with any sort of knowledge of the Old Testament, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah is often a a metaphor for bad, right? If God is calling them the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, He is saying to them, you are very wicked people. So what is the issue? We we talked about what God was saying about sin last week, but what is the issue here regarding hypocrisy? Well, when you look at the Old Testament, you know Israel continuously rebels against God. This is a a constant theme. They rebel against God. God brings judgment. They prosper. They rebel against God. God brings judgment. This is a, a continual repetitive theme. But if we're not careful, we can miss something in the midst of this theme. As Israel rebels against God, they typically kept on serving God In some ways, very rarely did Israel completely abandon God. So while they were living in sin, they also made some of the sacrifices required by law. While they worshiped Baal, they they typically also kept some of the holy days required by law. They usually went to the temple On the appropriate times, even if they brought in idolatry into the temple. They they generally did all manner of external religious activities required by the law. But they did it to such an extent that if you were just looking from the outside 
and all you saw were their outward actions, you would think they were the devoted people of God. Because they brought their animals to the temple for sacrifice. They went to to church when they were supposed to go to church. If they were supposed to have a feast or a festival, they blew the trumpets and they had a festival. Outwardly, they looked fine, but inwardly, they were something entirely different. The actions they took were not being taken because they had a deep devotion to Yahweh. And this was evident by the fact That they lived like the pagans around them as they did these acts of devotion to Yahweh. This was evident as they, yes, they went to the the temple on Saturdays, but maybe on Friday or Sunday they also worshipped Baal or Asherah. The actions were not taken because of a deep devotion to Yahweh. Rather, they were taken to give an appearance of being deeply Devoted to Yahweh. They wanted to appear as though they were the people of God. But they did not actually want to live as the people of God. They were hypocrites. And Yahweh was and is speaking about this. So what is God saying to them, to us, about hypocrisy? God says hypocrisy Makes sacrifices worthless. So he says in verse 11. What are your many sacrifices to me? I've had enough of your burnt offerings of rams. The the fat of fattened cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls. Lambs or goats. When you have come to appear before me. Who requires of you this trampling of my courtyard? Now if you've read the Old Testament. Particularly if you've read through the book of Leviticus. You know the importance of. Of sacrifices to the Jewish religion. There were sacrifices to cover nearly every type of wrong imaginable. If you did this, you offered that. If you did it on purpose, you offered this. If you did it accidentally, you did that. If you did it unintentionally, you offered this. And there were all of these sacrifices. Then they made sacrifices at certain times of the year. At this month, on this day, they made this sacrifice. There were Thanksgiving sacrifices, free will sacrifices. Sacrifices were the heart of Judaism. This is one of the reasons they almost never completely stopped making sacrifices. To their way of thinking, their sacrifices made everything okay. It didn't matter if they gave Yahweh their best Because at least they had given him something. It didn't matter if they worshipped Baal. Because they also offered these sacrifices to Yahweh. Didn't matter they broke God's covenant and lived immoral lives. They had made their sacrifices. To their way of thinking, their sacrifices offset their intentional, unrepentant wrongdoing. But God saw things Differently. His wording in verses 11 and 12 is strong. It is very, very strong. He asked them in the first, what is the point of your sacrifices? Considering the way they had been living. He tells them he has had enough of their sacrifices. He tells them he takes no pleasure in their sacrifices. And he says... That when they come before him into his temple to offer these sacrifices, 
it is though they are trampling his temple. In other words, they are defiling the temple of God with the hypocritical sacrifices they are making. The implication is God would just rather they stop making these sacrifices. Better they stop faking. Better they stop altogether than fake it all the way through. What the people of Isaiah's day were doing was trying to make an exchange with God. If they do enough goodish behavior in one area, it makes up for the bad behavior they do in another area. In this case, their nominal sacrifices to Yahweh would offset their worship of Baal. Their nominal sacrifices to God would would offset their violation of God's covenant. Their nominal sacrifices to Yahweh would offset their various forms of immorality. The reality was it would not. It would not because their sacrifices were worthless because of the sin and hypocrisy and their lives. The reality is, though, the people of Isaiah's day did not invent this idea and this way of doing this. They actually learned it from their very first king, King Saul. You may be familiar with the story. God told King Saul to take his army, go and attack the Amalekites and and wipe them out. Kill all the Amalekites, kill all their animals, leave nothing. So Saul raises his army, he goes to war against the Amalekites, he conquers them, he defeats them, and he completes the mission God gave him. Almost. Rather than completely wipe out the Amalekites, what Saul did was he killed all the Amalekites except for Agag, the king. He wipes out all of the animals of the Amalekites except for the very best of their flocks. Now, Saul had a very good reason for doing this. Saul was going to make a triumphal parade and a triumphal sacrifice to Yahweh. What he was going to do was he was going to ride victoriously into his capital city, dragging Agag behind him. Agag would be tied and be humiliated and all the people would see the king of the Amalekites conquered and humiliated and they would say, Huzzah! Yahweh is awesome! And then once the people praised Yahweh for that, they would kill Agag. And then they would take and they would build an altar and they would take the best of the Amalekites' flocks and they would offer them to God and they would say, We love you, God. They would worship the Lord. The only problem with this was that was not what God told them to do. What God told them to do was to kill all the Amalekites and all of their animals. But Saul thought, if I do most of it and I disobey here, but I've got this really good reason and I offer these sacrifices to God, it will offset my disobedience. And here was God's view of that. Does the Lord have as much delight in burnt offering and sacrifice as in delight and uh, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than a sacrifice. To pay attention better than the fat of rams. Rebellion is as reprehensible as the sin of divination. Insubordination is as reprehensible as false religion and idolatry. 
Since you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. King Saul, the Israelites of Isaiah's day, and many in our world today have the same flawed idea about sacrifices. If I do good in one area, if I sacrifice here, it offsets the bad I'm doing here. If, if, I, if I give extra money here, it offsets the fact I'm doing this over here. If I'm extra nice over here, it offsets the wrong I'm doing there. And, and it's, it's done really out of an attempt not to be a devoted disciple of Jesus. Because the person who's trying to, to weigh in the balances like this is going to continue to do this. This was the problem with Isaiah's day, the people there. The problem wasn't that they worshipped Baal, they violated the covenant and they sinned and offered a sacrifice. The sacrifices were for sin most of the time. The problem was they sinned, they sacrificed, they had every intention of going back. They were never going to stop worshipping Baal. They were not going to stop these things. And the people who try to make the, the exchange in our day have the same thing going on in their hearts, in their minds. They've done this and yes, I shouldn't do this. So I'll do this to make up for it. And this good is more than this bad. But in their minds, the idea is always, I'm going back to this bad. I'm still going to act this way. I'm still going to do these things. And so they make these big sacrifices. They do these big things. And it's an attempt to to appear one way. While in reality, they are something entirely different. And the sin and the hypocrisy over here makes the sacrifices and the good deeds over here worthless in the eyes of God. Good deeds, sacrifices, do not make hypocrisy acceptable. Rather, hypocrisy makes our sacrifices meaningless, worthless. This is what God is saying about hypocrisy. Our hypocrisy, the hypocrisy we might see in our community, the hypocrisy we might see in our nation, and the hypocrisy we might see in our loved ones. Are we listening? Secondly, God says hypocrisy makes worship meaningless. There's a contemporary Christian group named Casting Crowns. And they sing a song called Life Song. Part of the song says, empty hands held high, such small sacrifice. If not joined with my life, I sing in vain tonight. There's a powerful truth in that song. The truth is this. Our acts of worship do not please God unless our lives match our acts. So what we see in Isaiah, again, despite the rebellion and all the other things they were doing, the Israelites continued to offer incense as a way to worship the Lord. They kept the holy days, the festivals, the fastings God had commanded them to keep. So despite their sin, they continued to worship God as they had always done, as though they were devoted to Yahweh. But look at God's response. He says, do not go on bringing your worthless offerings. Your incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the proclamation of the assembly, I cannot endure the wrongdoing of them. 
I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I'm tired of bearing them. Now, again, this is all very, very strong words God is saying to them. God says the incense they were offering was an abomination. Now, the word translated as abomination pictures something disgusting and carries with it the idea of making God sick. Like vomiting sick. This is how God felt about their worship, which, again, with the incense, comparing this with incense is significant because in the Old Testament, when the incense was offered by those who were deeply devoted to God, it was described as a sweet smelling fragrance that was pleasing to God. Now they were offering the exact same incense they were commanded to offer, but because of their sin and their hypocrisy, their incense had gone from being a sweet smelling fragrance to something disgusting that made God sick. God goes on to describe their special days, their holy days as sinful. He tells them he hates their worship on the new moon festivals. He describes he tells them he hates their worship, that they are a their worship days are a burden to him. And he is tired of seeing it. God just could not stand. He could not bear the sight of them gathering in his temple and offering this worship to him. Knowing what they were really like and what they were really doing. Their hypocrisy made their worship meaningless to God. This isn't the only place we see this idea in God's word in Amos. God says very similar, I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your festive assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and now your and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fattened oxen. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the sound of your harps. People of Amos's day were much like the people in Isaiah's day. Living inconsistently in rebellion against God, but out, but outwardly they wanted to appear as though they were his people. And so they went and offered and worshiped and God completely rejects their worship. Now, of course, remember, there's nothing wrong with the, the acts of worship they're doing. They're, they're actually all commanded by God. The problem does not lie in the acts of worship. The problem lies in the people offering the worship. They came to the temple and they offered worship as though they were the people of God. Then they left the temple and lived like the pagans around them. When they came to the temple and offered this worship, they wanted to give the appearance of being deeply devoted to Yahweh. But they were not. It was just an appearance, not what they genuinely were or wanted to be. And their hypocrisy made their worship meaningless. Right down to even the songs they sang. God was not accepting or pleased or pleasured by any of it. He tells them. Be don't appear. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. God didn't want the music offered to him as worship. God didn't even really, the, the animals weren't even the point. 
God wanted them to be offered to Him as worship. For them to offer themselves, to give themselves to Him, and for everything else they did to flow out of the fact they had given themselves to Yahweh to serve Him. The New Testament carries this idea with it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living, holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, we're familiar with this passage, but I do like the way the New American Standard translates that part, your spiritual service of worship. Offering ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, that is our worship. That is our spiritual service of worship. And anything else we do must flow out of that. If we have not offered ourselves to God as a sacrifice, then nothing else we do is meaningful. This is particularly true if we haven't offered ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, but we want it to appear as though we've offered ourselves to God. That level of hypocrisy renders our worship meaningless in the eyes, the ears, and the heart of God. God wants us to give ourselves to Him. Holy, without reservation, as a living sacrifice. And then from that sacrifice, from that act of worship, flows every other act of worship. It is to be offered as deeply devoted disciples of Jesus. Our worship to God is a sweet-smelling fragrance that is pleasing to God, not because our songs are beautiful and we are wonderful singers, but because they flow from the heart of someone who is deeply devoted to Him. What makes our worship pleasing to God isn't the quality of the act itself, It is the quality of our heart in relation to Him. Without first offering ourselves as a living sacrifice to live as a deeply devoted disciple of Jesus, our worship is meaningless. This is what God is saying about hypocrisy. Our hypocrisy, the hypocrisy we may see in our community, hypocrisy we may see in our country, Any hypocrisy we may see in our loved ones. Are we listening? And then finally, God says hypocrisy makes prayers powerless. Hypocrisy makes sacrifices worthless. Hypocrisy makes worship meaningless. Hypocrisy makes prayer powerless. If you've been a Christian for any time at all, you know... Prayer is one of the most important aspects of our relationship with God. This is how we talk to God. This is how we sort of spend time in His presence. How we tell Him our problems and ask for His help. For the devoted disciples of Jesus, prayer is our lifeline. This is especially true in times of trouble. Prayer has always been this way for the people of God. God intentionally designed prayer in this way. The sad reality is for many people, their prayers are powerless. But not because they don't know the right words. Not because they're not eloquent in their speech. Because of the lives 
They're living. So again, despite the sin and hypocrisy in their lives, they, they prayed to God. I, I read in Acts at the beginning, they went at the time of prayer. There was regular times of prayer hosted at the temple. I'm sure they went to many of those. They went to prayer days. They went to all of those sort of things they were supposed to do to pray. They probably even prayed on their own at times. And yet, because they were living as hypocrites, look at what God says about their prayer. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, verse 15, I will hide my eyes from you. Now, the idea of hiding his eyes is making a point not to see them, not to hear them. Right? It pictures them trying to get God's attention to crying out to him. And rather than God looking at them and listening to them, God will turn his face away from them because of their hypocrisy. He goes on and says, yes, even though you offer many prayers, I will not be listening. Your hands are covered with blood. So even if they prayed and kept praying and kept praying and kept praying, so long as they were living these hypocritical lives, God was going to keep turned away from them. They weren't going to wear Him down. They weren't going to change His mind. They weren't going to finally get His attention. So long as they lived this life, their prayers would always be powerless. Their sin, their hypocrisy had created a barrier between them and God, making their prayers powerless. This isn't the only place, again, the only place we see this idea of sin and hypocrisy making our prayers powerless. Let me give you just a couple quickly, then show you one I think is the most important in relation to what we're talking about tonight. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. The phrase regard wickedness is interesting because the word, the Hebrew word translated as regard carries with it the idea of looking on with joy. This is why several translations actually render it if I had cherished sin in my heart. So picture here is, again, outwardly, I can give the appearance that I hate sin. But inwardly, if I cherish this sin, inwardly, if I look on this sin with pleasure and with joy, what happens? God will not hear my prayers. He goes on. The Lord's hand is not short that it cannot save, nor is there dull that it cannot hear. But your wrongdoings have caused a separation between you and God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so he does not hear. Also in Isaiah, similar circumstances later on, they are still pretending to be followers of God, pretending to be devoted disciples of Yahweh, and they are actually something far different. They're crying out to God to come and save them from the enemy that is gathering against them to conquer them. And God is not answering. God is not coming. God is not intervening. And they're wondering, is the problem God has lost His power? Is the problem God has changed and He doesn't do this anymore? And Isaiah's response is, no, the problem is your sins. Your hypocrisy have separated you from God and he will not hear. It's not just the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the Apostle Peter says, For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against evildoers. Now, again, he's talking. Notice he's talking about prayer. So he's not talking to those who are who who are atheists, those who say, I don't believe in God. It's about prayer. God's eyes are toward the righteous as they pray to him. His ears are open to their prayer. But those who are 
evildoers, wicked in their hearts, but outwardly appear to be something else. His face is against. He does not hear. And now, for my passage, I think is the most important in what we're talking about tonight. And we know God does not listen to sinners. So there's unbelievers. But if someone is God-fearing and does His will, He listens to Him. So notice the two-part condition for God hearing prayer. They must worship God, fear Him, and they must do His will. What if someone claims to fear God, worship God, gives the appearance of it, but they don't do His will? Does God hear those prayers? Not according to the Gospel of John. Both conditions must be met before God hears their prayers. So, what if someone, again, claims to worship God but lives hypocritically? They give the appearance of being a devoted disciple of Jesus, but their hearts are far from Him and are really something different. Does God hear those prayers? Not according to the Apostle John. The overwhelming testimony of God's word is our sin and our hypocrisy make our prayers powerless. Sadly, what this means is there are many people who cry out to God day and night for help. They are just like this right here. They cry out to God for help. But they're living as hypocrites. Their hypocrisy has cut God off from them. And God will not hear them so long as they are living in hypocrisy. Their hypocrisy has made their prayers powerless. This is what God is saying about hypocrisy. Our hypocrisy. The hypocrisy we may see in our community. Hypocrisy we may see in our nation. Hypocrisy we may see among our loved ones. Are we listening? I've tried, I hope, to be careful in this message because I don't want to give the appearance I believe everyone but me is a hypocrite because that is certainly not what I believe. However, I know it is entirely possible someone is a hypocrite who is more interested in appearing to be something, a deeply devoted disciple of Jesus, than in actually being a deeply devoted disciple of Jesus. And if someone falls into that category, I don't want you to feel condemned because that's not the point. Rather, I want to point you to God's mercy and God's cure for hypocrisy. Look at verse 16. Wash yourselves. Make yourself clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Stop doing evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Obtain justice for the orphan. Plead the widow's case. So he's saying, repent. So you're you're hypocritical. And your hypocrisy has made your sacrifices meaningless. Your, Your worship worthless. And your prayers powerless. There's a cure for that. And it's not to feel sorry for yourself. 
The cure is to repent. To stop being a hypocrite. Stop pretending to be something and strive to actually be something. Worry about what you are, not what others may think you appear to be. Not what you are in public, but what you are in your heart. And he says, if you do, come now. Let us debate your case, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall become as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall be like wool. He'll wash. He'll cleanse. He'll restore. He'll take away the stain of hypocrisy and wash white so that we can be who we're pretending to be. This is what He wants. God does not want our sacrifices to be worthless. Our worship to be meaningless or our prayers to be powerless. These are God's creation. He wants them to be deep, rich, meaningful and powerful. So they will draw us closer to him. And through us, he will be glorified among the nations. However, look at what he goes on to say in verse 19 and 20. If you're willing to, you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel... And be devoured by the sword. In other words, the choice, the choice is ours. You can press on in hypocrisy, and your sacrifices will ever be worthless. Your worship will ever be meaningless. Your prayers will ever be powerless. Or you can turn to the Lord, you can repent. And your sacrifices will, they will be useful. The worship will be meaningful. And the prayers will be powerful. The choice is ours. God is calling us to come to Him. Repent. Come to Him. He wants to wash us. He wants to cleanse us. He wants to restore us to the way things ought to be. But you and I, we have to make the call about what we're going to do. We can choose to remain worrying about what we appear to be instead of what we actually are. Or we can turn. Ultimately, though, the decision is yours. The decision is mine. What decision will we make tonight? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Help us tonight, Father, to examine our lives and to be sure we are not living as hypocrites. Your word says the hope of the hypocrite will surely fail. Your word is sure. Your word is steadfast. And we cannot live in hypocrisy and in a meaningful relationship with you at the same time. So, Father, if there is hypocrisy in our lives, convict us. Show us our sin. Show us our hypocrisy.
burden us for it. But then let us hear you calling us to come to you. To be washed. To be cleansed. To be blessed. And let us choose to come to you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.